This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Audrey from The Straits Times, and I'm reporting from Katowice, Poland, where COP24, the climate change event of the year, is being held. With me, I have Ms. Melissa Lowe, a research fellow from the National University of Singapore, who can explain to us what this event is about and why it's so important. Melissa, can you start by sharing with us your experience with the climate change negotiations? Thanks, Audrey. Um, so I'm here with the Energy Studies Institute at the National University of Singapore. Um, NUS has been accredited to the UNFCCC since 2014 in Lima. And basically what we do here at the COP is to track the negotiations in order to do climate and energy policy research back home at NUS. And this is my eighth COP this year. I first started out um, at COP in COP15 in Copenhagen. And I'm sure some of you may remember that uh, Copenhagen summit. Uh, it was largely considered uh, one where parties were not able to adopt a decision. Uh, but ultimately, a decision was made in Paris in 2015 and here we are today negotiating the rules of the Paris Agreement. Thanks, Melissa. So this brings us to our first question about where are we in this COP. So I know the conference this year started on December 2nd and we are now well into the second week of the talks. Uh, Melissa, I understand that you were here since last week. Can you give us an, a better idea of how negotiations have gone since then? Sure. Um, so last week, we started with the opening of the COP itself, as well as various working groups under the COP. So what this means is that the Paris Agreement, when it was adopted in 2015 in December, parties had to start working on the Paris Agreement rulebook that is to be implemented or adopted here in Paris. Now, the parties have been working tirelessly for the last three years, and this is culminating in this week's work. So I'll share with you a little bit about what happened last week and there were lots of intense negotiations happening because um, parties had to drill down into the specifics of the negotiations such as how do you submit the next round of nationally determined contributions or rather your climate change targets, uh, what should go into them, what kind of information do you need to submit. Uh, they also had to discuss whether or not adaptation has to be included in these nationally determined contributions. Uh, countries also looked at uh, specifics of the transparency mechanism. Uh, we start to call it the enhanced transparency framework because there are existing reporting requirements under the COP. But parties will be, under the Paris Agreement, asked to enhance their transparency reporting, meaning to say they will be asked to comply with stricter regulations and submit more information than they already do, or submit them in a quicker time than they already do. Uh, this is to facilitate uh, more clarity and understanding of each other's policies, measures, targets and how we are doing in terms of working towards our collective goal of the Paris Agreement which is, as you say, to keep the global temperature to under 2 degrees of warming or even to 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming. So last week, intense negotiations took place and essentially Countries had to, and under the, the COP, they have to forward all of the draft text or all of the uh, solutions that they have brokered to the COP presidency, which is chaired by Poland, of course, this year, since the COP is in Katowice. So the Polish presidency has taken over the text. Ministers are arriving and they have arrived, and they will be considering the text to understand what may be some of the political trade-offs that need to take place in order for adoption to take place this Friday. 
Okay, thanks yeah. Melissa. So this brings me to my second question actually about where do we want to go. So in terms of our climate goals, it's clear, right? We want to keep global temperatures to well under 2 degrees Celsius. But as you have outlined earlier, it seems like the process is a lot more complicated than that. So in terms of the outcome for this year's COP, what do you think it will be? Right, so um, many people worry that the talks are breaking down or there won't be anything coming out of it. What I can assure you is that there will be a rule book. It may be called the Paris rule book or the Katowice rule book or Katowice outcomes, but ultimately we know that there will be issues on the table to be adopted. And these rules will be a framework for implementation of the Paris Agreement. Um, the Paris Agreement itself is extremely uh, broad and skeletal, and so we need to put flesh to the bones uh, at this session. And um, how we are able to get there is to be able to make sure that we recognize that every country has different starting points because uh, we all know that uh, mm -hmm. all countries have different rates of growth and they are all at different uh, development um, uh, they basically have different developmental priorities, national development priorities. And so um, these targets are already nationally determined. And how countries are going to be able to reach those targets should also be nationally determined. I think uh, fairness and equity, as well as this concept of differentiation, is going to be extremely key and is one of the sticking points. Definitely, um, the Polish presidency is calling it the crunchy points for some reason. And uh, so these crunchy points or sticky points are going to be uh, very crucial for us to work through. The ministers will need to work through, possibly through the night, in order to get to the bottom of it uh, for adoption. So they do need to work in a spirit of uh, flexibility, in a spirit of uh, um, working towards uh, solutions and solutions-driven uh, type of negotiations and not start to rehash all uh, well-known positions uh, about you know historical responsibility you caused the problem and I didn't so why should I do um, uh, climate mitigation I think we've gone past that and we need to recognize that um, climate change is all our collective uh, responsibility and we all need to put together um, put our minds together and put our, our act, get our act together in order to uh, solve this issue and so how do we get there and we know that um, the collective targets under the nationally determined contributions do not take us to 2 degrees. In fact, it takes us to between 3.7 to 4.5 degrees Celsius. And that's worrying. The IPCC special report, 1.5 special report, um, uh, has been issued by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, but yet uh, has, is likely to be... Uh, not, it's likely not to be adopted at this session and that's worrying for us as well. Um, so in order to get to where we want to be, two degrees or less, I think countries definitely need to ratchet up their contributions or their ambitions um, and we need to capacity build. We need to share knowledge, uh, encourage peer-to-peer -peer exchange, encourage uh, each other, we inspire each other to do better than what we can do. Uh, and, and that's the only way because if we continue on our current trajectories on emissions growth uh, or emissions reduction rather, we're, not, we're still not going to get there. And on top of that, a lot of the nationally determined contributions or climate pledges require huge amounts of funding, huge amounts of support and training. So it's important for us to be able to provide those necessary support and it should perhaps it should not just come from the developed countries, right? Perhaps it should come from countries that perhaps um, have the ability to uh, and 
maybe even encourage more, we call it South-South cooperation among the developing countries. There's so much we can learn from each other. Uh, regionally, we can learn from each other as well because we have, we have such similar geographical circumstances and constraints. And perhaps the, there's economies of scale in getting to solutions and uh, doing those solutions together. So um, hopefully that answers the question on uh, how do we get there. It's not going to be an easy uh, path, I think, but it's a necessary one. Will you be able to share, like, for the Singapore context specifically, how is Singapore trying to get there? Right, so Singapore is a non-NX1 country under the Kyoto Protocol. So that means that it's considered like a developing country? That's right, yes. Uh, I mean, and the main reason why also um, it's difficult for us to reach our targets uh, or it's a challenging, a stretch target as, as our, some of our uh, officials put it, is because we have specific national circumstances that do not allow us to be able to harness, for, for instance, renewable energy at a utility scale. And so studies have been done around how much can we feasibly use renewable energy. And the, the most uh, feasible renewable energy source in Singapore is actually solar. And so we've, we, we have a solar PV uh, goal uh, of 350 megawatt peak by 2030. And, and in itself is a rather stretched goal in my, in my opinion because um, there's limited rooftop space in Singapore and you know it's very dense, we are a very dense city-state and the buildings are tall, there's and the shadow shading, and yeah. shading and so it's important to realise that the lack of land area, the urban density that we have all um, become constraints in our push towards climate action. Um, but that's not to say we can't do more. I think uh, the government as well as uh, businesses, civil society, we are working towards uh, more collaboration in, in various areas. Um, definitely in terms of knowledge sharing, capacity building. Um, the carbon tax, in fact, is a very interesting uh, move by the Singapore government. I would say it's a very bold move given that we are open for business, you know, in Singapore. And the carbon tax of $5 per tonne of CO2 starting next year definitely is going to send a very important uh, signal to the large emitters in Singapore that they need to start looking very seriously at industrial energy efficiency. If they don't do this, is we, we will find it very difficult to meet our targets. And our target, uh, the NDC that we have, is a 36% emissions intensity reduction by 2030. And we also aim to stabilize our emissions by that same around the same time. So, in order to meet our goals in the next, uh, you know, decade or so, I think we need to engage as many stakeholders as possible. The power sector is going to be affected by this carbon tax. So is the, uh, so are the petrochemicals, uh, semiconductor sectors, and so all these sectors that are large emitters. I think they will need to be um, engaged regularly and uh, intensely so that they understand the constraints that Singapore faces in terms of me needing to meet our international targets and be a global player and be a, 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 an active player, an active contributor to the solutions uh, uh, that we all need. So I mean just to end off, would you be able to share like your own personal uh, hopes for the outcomes at this COP? Sure, uh, as I said before, it's my 8th COP and uh, it's easy to get jaded sometimes at these COPs because you attend year in and year out and you wonder whether or not we're actually getting somewhere. But I think um, it's really the networks that you establish, the people that I'm inspired by who come uh, just like me every year to um, try and broker solutions, try and find ways that we can communicate climate change better 
and communicate the need for more collaboration and partnerships in order to get to where we want to. And I think it's these uh, friendships and trust building and capacity building amongst ourselves that we need to bring home back home to Singaporeans. And this year is, is particularly special for me because we have students from the National University of Singapore that are participating, all of them for the first time at the COP. And I, it brings me back to my first COP in Copenhagen when I had very little guidance on, on what I should be doing at the COP and how I can be meaningfully engaged. But I think students and youth and various civil society representatives from Singapore today are very lucky in that the information out there about COP is, uh, is, is tremendous and uh, you can just Google and figure out how to navigate the COP and there are resource people, people in the government that, that may be willing to help you. And so I think uh, there's no time like today um, and I'm hopeful because uh, the Paris Agreement itself provides us with a great starting point for further action, enhanced action. It, instead of the Kyoto Protocol, which had only 37 developed countries requiring to, to meet their targets, we now have all of the world's countries involved and that itself is a, a great achievement which I think we, we often fail to see when we, we drill down to the nitty-gritty issues. But we need to realize that um, the Paris Agreement is a one-of-a-kind and I think it's, it's, it's important to recognize that it's significant in that it's able to get all countries on, on the, at the table to negotiate and uh, I hope that we have a successful outcome on the 14th of December so we have something to, to shout about uh, and, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Thank you, Melissa. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.